This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. This is Peter and Tricia welcoming you today to Great News and God's Views on Free FM 89.0, Independent Community Media. We invite you to listen every Sunday for a presentation of historic Bible-based Christianity, highlighting preaching of the Word, classic songs, hymns and spiritual songs. We can be contacted by email at greatnews376 at gmail.com. That is greatnews376 at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Our worship theme today, God makes himself known to us in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. The Spirit of Truth. Jesus knew that the disciples were not yet ready. They understood so little and misunderstood even more. They were in serious need of more teaching and guidance. That's why, on the eve of his departure, he would ask God the Father to send them the Holy Spirit. The Spirit will be their teacher and guide in his absence. It was as if God, Jesus and the Spirit were on the relay team, God had run the first leg speaking, teaching and guiding his people directly from heaven. Then Jesus, coming to earth in the form of a man, took the baton and ran the second leg. He taught and guided his followers while in their midst. Now Jesus is ready to hand over the baton to the Holy Spirit, who is to run the third and final leg of the race. The Spirit was to come and continue to teach and guide the believers as he lives within them. We read from John chapter 16, beginning at verse 12. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you in all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. And he shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine, therefore said I, that he shall take of mine, and shall show it unto you. Too much too soon. Jesus tells the disciples he had so much more to tell them, but that they were not ready to hear it. What did Jesus mean, and what more did the disciples need to know? While no one knows for sure, it seems to me that Jesus knew that, for one thing, the disciples still had not fully grasped who he was and what he was trying to accomplish. Their concept of Messiah was still misplaced, as seen by their behaviour on the last night and the subsequent week. They thought everything was over when Jesus died on the cross, instead of seeing that event as just the beginning. Second, they still had to search out the implications for themselves and for others of the teachings of Jesus. What would it mean to love your enemy, for example, or to love one another? And most important, they had to examine and face the consequences of acknowledging Jesus of Nazareth as the Messiah, the Christ, and the Son of God. 
How would their proclamation change their lives and the lives of those around them? But that point in time, on the night before the crucifixion, the disciples were still wrapped in blankets of innocence and ignorance. Oh, they'd seen the power of Jesus and had even called him Lord, but they still had much more to learn and to face. All these things and a thousand more were still to be faced by the young, fragile band of believers and any who would later come to faith. They would need help in sorting things out. Jesus knew it, and the Holy Spirit would provide that help. The Spirit of Truth The Holy Spirit would continue on with the disciples' development and teaching. He would do this by guiding them in all truths. It's called the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth. First, the Spirit will not speak or teach on his own, but only what the Father and the Son have taught. There was continuity and harmony in what was to be taught to the believers. It will not contradict or radically alter what's been taught by Jesus. Second, the Spirit would help the disciples by reminding them of what Jesus had taught them while he was among them. This would aid the first disciples. This teaching also carried within it the seeds of the apostolic writings that would eventually come to know as the revealed and inspired writings of the New Testament. The Spirit then was and is also concerned for the development and teaching of all disciples past and present. Third, the Spirit of Truth would reveal the depth of the teachings of Christ and their real implications for the future. One example of this can be seen in Acts 10 where we find the Spirit guiding Peter to reach out with the gospel to Gentiles. This proved to be a major step in the growth of the kingdom and a radical step away from the practices of the early Jewish church. As can be seen by the controversy that followed, and we read from Acts 11.13. And he showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said unto him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter. And who shall tell thee words, whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved? And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them, as on us at the beginning. Glory to the Father and to the Son. The Holy Spirit brings glory to God and to the Son. The Spirit does not seek his own glory. The Spirit does not seek his own followers. The Spirit does not seek to displace God or Jesus. No, the Holy Spirit seeks to serve and to serve well, and in so doing bring the glory and honour to the Father. We could learn a valuable lesson from the Spirit's example of servanthood. As the Spirit serves both God and us, we should serve both God and others. As the Spirit often works behind the scenes, so we should work without seeking the limelight and without feeling jealous of others who may be more visible. As the Spirit teaches and guides believers in better understanding of the truth, so we should humbly teach and guide younger, less experienced believers in how to walk with Christ. The essence of the Holy Spirit is service. Service to God, to Jesus, to believers, and in the world. Is that not also the essence of being a Christian? Our first music today, The King of Love My Shepherd Is by Henry Williams, born in London in May 1821 and educated at Trinity College, Cambridge. He became in 1851 vicar of Monkland in Herefordshire, which he held until his death in 1877. 
His last audible words which lingered on his dying lips were the third stanza of this rendering of the 23rd Psalm, The King of Love My Shepherd Is. Perverse and foolish oft I strayed, but yet in love he sought me, and on his shoulder gently laid, and home rejoicing brought me. This tender sadness, brightened by a soft, calm peace, was the epitome of his poetical life. We are commonly told that similarities between living things prove that they are related by evolution. But did you know that many similarities found in nature defy evolution? Take for example the marsupial mouse and the placental mouse. These creatures are remarkably similar, but according to evolutionists, they did not inherit this startling similarity from a common ancestor. Instead, we are told, evolution achieved the same design in both creatures independently. They call this convergence, because evolution has supposedly converged on, or arrived at, a similar looking outcome. 
outcome. But convergence is really just a word used to try to explain away similarities that don't support evolution. Indeed, convergences are so common in nature that they cause major problem for evolutionists. But they fit nicely with the proposal that the living world is the handiwork of a single divine designer. The similarities tell us that there is one mind behind it all. He even designed things in a way that thwarts evolutionary storytelling. To find out more from Creation Ministries International, visit our website, creation.com. You are listening to Great News and God's Views on Free FM 89.0 Independent Community Media. We continue with And Can It Be That I Should Gain? A Christian hymn written by Charles Wesley. It is suggested it's one of the best loved of Wesley's 6,000 hymns. It was written in 1338 to celebrate his conversion, which he regarded as having taken place on May the 21st of that year. The lines, my chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose, went forth and followed thee, are based on the story of the liberation of St. Peter in the New Testament. And can it be that I should gain?
Fatal Attraction Perhaps there's no area of modern life so vulnerable, so used of Satan as is the sexual side of our lives. Bombarded with sex in every media, so often our frustrations in other areas of life find their expressions in the misuse and abuse of the great blessing of sex. The story of Deity and Bathsheba is a real-life situation we can identify with. We can admit similar temptations, we can even try unsuccessfully to justify it. But this was not a man wholly struck down from behind by sin. He first sent for information about the woman, then he sent for the woman. There may be many excuses for both David and Bathsheba, but there's no acquittal at the bar of God's judgment. Like a tree, the deed spread its roots and branches. The fruit was bitter and the branches blotted out the sun and the roots wrapped around their hearts and choked them. We read from 2 Samuel 11, beginning at verse 26. And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when the morning was past, David sent and fetched her to his house, and she became his wife and bare him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he'd brought and nourished up. And it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drink of his own cup, and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveller unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd, to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come unto him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah, 
and if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised and the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. And Nathan departed unto his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore unto David, and it was very sick. The anatomy of deceit. I will cover it up. No one ever need know. I will call the husband Uriah home for a brief furlough, and then when the child is born, everyone will think Uriah's the father. A drunk Uriah has more integrity than a sober David at this point. I will murder him. Murder the husband, marry the wife, and claim the baby. So David sent a letter to General Joab, who was besieging the Ammonites, instructing that Uriah is to be murdered. Notice what that really did. It put David under the power of Joab for the rest of his life. It sent an innocent man to his death, and to his disgrace, David made the man carry his own death warrant back to the battlefield. We can almost hear them saying in the quietness of their bedroom the first night in the palace, oh, all's well that's den's well. All's well that's covered up. All's well that doesn't bring public ruin. But is it? Our society is full of folks who, to whom all is not well, though it's covered up. All is not well with David, as we see in Psalm 32, verses 3 to 4. And Psalm 51, verses 10 to 12. When I keep silence, my bones whack through old, though my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me, my moisture is turned into the drought of summer, Salah. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Rejoice unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. How God rescues sinners. Look with me then at the next stage of our story. It's God's move now. Once we are out of his will and plan and path and fellowship, God has to initiate the reconciliation. And the Lord sent Nathan. That is the most significant statement, I think, in the whole story. The devil sent the temptation. David sent the messengers for the woman. Joab sent the soldier to certain death. But God sent Nathan. Jesus speaks of God coming as a shepherd seeking the lost sheep as a wife seeking the lost coin, as a father seeking his son. Here God comes in the form of a prophet, still just as surely seeking his own. To what purpose? To expose and punish David? Not at all. In the sending of Nathan we see the kindness, the loving kindness of God. God sent the prophet to rescue David. In this chapter, this meeting of David and Nathan, 
We have both the hardest words for the sinner to say and the most wonderful words for the sinner to hear. I have sinned against the Lord, and also the Lord also has put away the sin. What does that mean? The Lord has put away your sin? More important, what would it have to mean in your life? Let me suggest it means at least these things, a new sense of self-worth, a realisation in your heart that God is not angry at you, that God is again your friend, for sin moves us away from God, a steep, genuine sense of sorrow and repentance for what you've done to God, to your relationship with him, and as an assurance that whatever the fallout of the sin, God still has a place for your life. For while the wages of sin is death, the fruit of forgiveness is life. When the Lord puts away your sin, he puts it as far from you and him as is possible, and the east is from the west. It is out of mind, memory, heart and hand. You know, I think that encounter with Nathan was like a dam bursting in David's heart, and a great flooding of guilt and fear went cascading out. It was replaced by a sense of peace. The residue of sin. There's a further word from this chapter to all us sinners. It's the howbeit of verse 14 in chapter 12. The howbeit is unfolded fully in verses 10 to 12 and 14. Most of the time there's a howbeit connected with our sin, but it's not the devilish stinger or the vengeance of an angry God. It's the working out of the results of sin in the moral and physical world. Our children disobey us and leave toys in the driveway where we run over them. Teenagers experiment with drugs and are hooked. A husband is unfaithful to a wife. Forgiveness cannot be offered and accepted, but we have to live with what sin creates and calls forth. There's still the crushed toy in the drug addiction and the broken trust in the marriage. And sin has repercussions in the lives of both the guilty and the innocent, as we see illustrated in this story. I close by pointing out that David's sin could have ruined his life. It would have ruined his life had he not accepted the grace of God conveyed by the prophet. My sin, your sin, can and will ruin our lives unless we seize the saving, forgiving power of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. That's what the cross is all about. God coming to us sinners, sometimes as a prophet, sometimes as a shepherd, sometimes as a woman seeking the coin, sometimes as a father, but always seeking the sinner to call into repentance and to offer forgiveness, peace and transformation of life. Thank you for joining us today for Great News and God's Views on Free FM 89.0 Independent Community Media. 89.0 is live streamed from freefm.org.nz or tune in and now on Amazon Echo devices using the Free FM 89 Alexa skill. For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This Free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.